destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Abraham Lincoln said that. Seemed good to have a quote from a president who faced a lot of division. Hey, this is uh, the Reverend Russell. It's just me here because I'm out in in Portland. And... uh, um, there's, there's a lot of division I'm seeing here, but, uh, yeah, so I'm out here in Portland and Debbie is back in, uh, in Minnesota. And so I am solo welcoming you. Um, I'm kind of going to be on vacation for the next, uh, three weeks. And, uh, this week I'm giving you a best of sermon. I think uh, it's originally preached in 2014, uh, footstool for your enemies, my enemies, thine enemies, something is the title of it. Um, and I think it, uh, there might be some dated references to the uh, to social media, but I think uh, it's a good sermon for this time. Thank you so much, everybody, who came out last week for our first in-person service, the Feast of Jonah. It was just so great to see everybody. Such a good turnout. Uh, I can't help saying such a good turnout. I'm a preacher. It's a thing we do. Um, but a lot of, a lot of great, was great music too. John Hermanson. Uh, yeah, some good words, some good music. So great to hear that uh, Mercy Machine band be great when it's at full strength. And uh, yeah, so um, we'll be thinking about what we can do next out there before it gets too cold. So uh, also, if you did not see it, you can listen to the, the podcast. Or also, um, we're going to send out a link if you're on the email um, newsletter. Pardon me. Uh, to we recorded the Zoom stream, so you can watch it. Okay. Uh, well, this is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it.
please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, however we are this moment, dreading what's around the corner, grateful for whatever is before us, yellow leaves, bagels, children, friends, help us see you through both the dark and the bright flashes of ephemeral beauty and love you and know we are loved. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. Share a sign of peace with someone around you. House of Mercy hymn number two, Sinner Friend. join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer or petition with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. Dear God, I don't know about everyone else, but I wake up in the morning alarmed before I'm even fully conscious. Help us not to be afraid, or at least not paralyzed by fear in the face of scary, divisive times, in the face of the ice sheets melting like crazy, forest burning pandemic extinction. Help us be 
confident or at least somewhat sure enough about our next moves to love our neighbors, including the birds and trees, that we can put one foot in front of the other, even if we're walking slowly. Help us move to love. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray that world leaders, defense strategists, the people who run political campaigns might wake up and recognize it would be good for all of us if we loved our neighbor instead of making enemies. Though this seems like an absurd and impossible ask, why should it be? God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we ask you to bring comfort to those who mourn, something sweet and hopeful, something to look forward to, or at least a good night of sleep. The sense that however terrible any moment is, you are in it, loving us. We pray for those who are depressed and anxious, not well in body or mind. May they be well. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, give us access to all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. Though the prospect of that might be frightening, we're so much used to things that dull us, help us hide, pretend and lie, keep us anesthetized. The fullness, the depths of our souls might be too much. Give us access to our full unguarded beings that we may love fully. God, in your mercy. Most merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Here are confessions as we pause for silence. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. Amen. Tonight's reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord.
Six days of creation, so shocking, it will leave you counting your ribs. Prehistory is 40 as rainy as days. You'll never guess who got wet. Twelve minor prophets with major beef. Seven beatitudes that will send Richie Rich packing. And three temptations that left the Lord shaking in his sandals. People love lists. People have always loved lists, but these internet lists are out of control. Out of control. Facebook is fraught with them, with these lists. Twitter drives tweeters to them with come-hither hashtags, Reddit, Gawker, BuzzFeed, not to mention Rolling Stone, Men's Journal, Cosmopolitan, Self, Redbook, Consumer Reports, Blue Book, American Rifleman, Knitters Monthly, Women's Wear Daily, Spin, O, ESPN, RV Living, Southern Living, Prevention, and the Midwest Hog Farmer Online. There are lists everywhere. It's like you can't escape them. One minute you're looking at pictures of your cousin's new baby or cat. Okay, honestly, probably your cousin's new baby cat. Um, And the next thing you realize you're clicking through 25 worst celebrity charity names. Which you have to admit the James Franco Ferret Rescue and No Farm Kill, Kill Farm is a pretty bad one. One minute you're searching for a recipe for a spicy pork loin rub, and before you realize it, you've clicked on five foods you should never eat while driving. And you have to agree, it makes sense to stay away from the kebabs. The listicle is becoming the number one genre in journalism. You know, these lists, right, that go with articles, it's like a listicle. Uh, It's an article that's basically written in the form of a list. You know, it starts with some crazy, catchy headline and like, I don't know, 10 things babies secretly hate about you. You know, and the the article is just like subheads to each point, like number seven, babies think your nose hairs are gross. You know, and then there's just like, just a couple sentence, you know, that describe the thing and like the point. Like, babies have no choice but to look up your nose. It's the only perspective they've got. Lean over their crib or crailing them in your arms. Come on, make a baby happy and buy yourself a trimmer. It's these kind of things. I mean, these list, these listicles, they're like the reality TV shows of journalism. You don't need to really have any meaningful content, um, and you don't even need to have the ability to write. You just need a number and a sensational headline to suck your readers to your site. They don't take much time, and they don't take any talent, and they generate a lot of traffic. And I think people probably like them for the same reasons they like reality TV. It's mindless escapism. There's even a voyeuristic quality to them. There's usually some element of like seeing behind the curtain or finding out something that somebody doesn't want you to know. And there's nothing at all challenging or difficult or upsetting about them. In a New Yorker article titled, A List of Reasons Why Our Brains Love Lists, written in the form of list, The writer um, says that uh, 
these articles as numbered, numbered lists have several features that make it inherently captivating. The headline catches our eye in a stream of content. It positions its subject within a pre-existing category and classification system like talented animals or something. It spatially organizes information and promises a story that's finite, whose length has been quantified up front. And together, these create an easy reading experience in which the mental heavy lifting of conceptualization, categorization, and analysis is completed well in advance of any actual consumption. It's a bit like sipping green juice instead of munching on a bunch of kale. And there's little that our brains crave more than effortlessly acquiring data. But the ubiquitous listicle is not the entirety of the world of lists. There are all kinds of lists. There are informational lists, ranking lists, shopping lists, membership lists, ingredient lists, book lists, price lists, species lists, descriptive lists. I could make a whole uh, list of them. And while the listicle may be maligned as vapid mind candy, the list, like listing, has been part of humanity from the beginning. In every culture, in every era, lists are found. And now, a list is a helpful tool. It's a practical organizing, practically organizing what needs to be done or what order one thing should be done in or what it's needed to do what needs to be done. But its value just goes beyond the practical. It goes to the human psyche. The list brings order out of chaos. In 2009, the Louvre asked Umberto Eco, the writer and semiotician, if he would be interested in curating an exhibit. And so when Umberto Eco went to the Louvre to discuss the possible themes of the exhibit, he said he looked around at all the paintings and knew immediately the theme would be lists. He said that he saw these paintings, especially these still lifes, as lists. He even published a book in conjunction with the exhibition titled The Infinity of Lists, an Illustrated History. The book contains essays about the nature of lists, the history of making lists, and then is filled with lists, lists, like hundreds of lists, lists of artwork and literature, musicians, lists that musicians and artists and writers have made throughout history, lists of politicians. Umberto Eco says that the list is the origin of culture. It's part of the history of art and literature. What does culture want, he says? To make infinity comprehensible. It always wants to create order. Well, not always, but often. And how, as a human being, does one face infinity? How does one attempt to grasp the incomprehensible? Through lists, through catalogs, through collections in museums, and through encyclopedias and dictionaries. We have a limit, he says, a very humiliating limit, death. And that's why we like things that we assume have no limits, where we can put things in order. It's a way of comprehending the incomprehensible. It's a way of escaping thoughts about death. We like lists because we don't want to die.
So the religious leaders, they've been trying to trip Jesus up, quizzing him, asking him questions to get him to commit some blasphemy or make some treasonous statement. And so far they've been unsuccessful. The Pharisees have just heard that Jesus schooled the Sadducees, shut them up, shut them down. And the Pharisees, well, they always thought the Sadducees were idiots anyway, so they thought they would give it a try. The Pharisees, they're like us. They like list too. They like list too. And they asked, so they asked Jesus to rank the commandments. And that's not as easy as you might think. Sure, we Christians, we have like 10 commandments. Jews find 613 in the Hebrew Bible. But Jesus doesn't blink an eye. He doesn't miss, doesn't even pause. Greatest commandment, number one, no problem. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And then he gives him another one. Number two, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. All 613 laws, everything the Lord our God commanded through the prophets, all depend on these top two. They can all be fulfilled with these top two. Love God with every part of you, with your heart and your soul and your mind and your body and everything. And love your neighbor. That's it, Jesus says. Love God, love your neighbor. And the Pharisees are like saying to each other, damn, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think he got us. But Jesus isn't done. He's never just, he never just answers the religious leaders' questions. No, he always pushes it further, messes with them. Jesus says, let me ask you a question. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is, is the Messiah? Whose son did the prophets say is the Messiah? That's easy to answer. The Pharisees say, rolling their eyes and making sort of like a duh gesture. The Messiah is the son of David. So Jesus follows up. If the Messiah is the son of David, then how is it that in the psalm David writes about the Messiah, he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and, and I will make your enemies a footstool. David is calling the Messiah his Lord. No one would ever call their son Lord. Jesus probably resists making the duh gesture to them, but it's pretty implied in his tone of voice. And they're like, wait a minute. If David says the Messiah is his Lord, and in the prophets, God says that the Messiah will be the son of David, like, how can that work? The Messiah can't both be David's Lord and David's son. That would be impossible. It's a contradiction. Our holy book says both things. That can't be right. The Pharisees are not confused. They're embarrassed. But more than embarrassed, they've become unsure. They are destabilized. Their whole platform, their whole plan, their agenda, their whole system is built on surety. Knowing what is right and what is wrong. Knowing the correct interpretation of the law and the prophets. 
It's the foundation of their belief. And not only their beliefs, but it's the foundation of their religious system, the religious system they put in place. That's why they love lists. They love order. In a world where the Roman Empire came, occupied, destabilized their country, they desperately wanted to make order out of chaos, the chaos of the situation. That's why they had strict rules. That's why they had lists of how people should behave and what people should do and when. And they were in luck because the Romans loved lists too. The Romans valued order. Empires abhor chaos. Empires need order. Without order, without lists, rules, laws, empires cannot exist. What Jesus does, the way he pushes this further, is he rejects the premise of their questions. The question, to the, he questions their assumption that ranking, listing, ordering things equals good and right. Jesus rejects the assumption that the commands of God, the pronouncements of the Lord, God's words to God's people, God's interactions with people can be contained, quantified, controlled, can be placed in a proper order or rank. That's why Jesus asked the question that he knows contains a contradiction. He asked the question that has two right and opposing answers. It is the opposite of a list. It is the opposite of ranking. It does not bring order out of the chaos. It pushes further out into the chaos. Even the commandments that Jesus ranks for them as the greatest and the second is all about resisting that ordering. When he says, love God with everything you have, with yourself, giving yourself totally and completely to God, that is not something that will create order. That is something that is risky and destabilizing. Loving your neighbor isn't going to put everything in order. It's going to make you vulnerable. It could cause disorder. These two commandments to love God and love your neighbor resist the empire. Resist the rules, resist the lists, the ordering. Love, relationships, are not containable, locked-down things. They are changing, moving, living. They are not orderly. They are not controllable. They require vulnerability, require risk, trust, they live and breathe forgiveness, mercy, and grace. This is God's table, and all are welcome. On the night he was handed over to death, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it, and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. House of Mercy hymn number four, Water into Wine. I heard tell of the miracles my blessed Savior done. He took a great big ball of fire and forged the blazing sun. Go with the love of God in your heart and soul and mind. Love your neighbor and yourself, knowing how much God delights in you. Go in peace. Amen.